I invite you to open your Bible this morning to the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to spend the next uh, few weeks looking in some detail at the story of two churches found in chapters 8 and 9. So go ahead and open your Bible there, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. As I get started this morning, I want to ask you what comes to mind, what, what thoughts, what images come to your mind when you see certain phrases. For instance, the phrase that's on the screen right now, let's do this. What comes to mind when you see that phrase? Let's do this. I think of an individual or a group of people who are getting ready to begin some task. Maybe it was a challenging task. It's a significant task. And they say they're trying to sock themselves up. All right, let's do this. Let's do this. That's the image that comes to mind for me. There's There's a second phrase that I want you to think about, and it's this. It's time. What image comes to mind when you see that phrase? It's time. Again, it can be an individual or it can be a group. And the alarm goes off. It reaches a certain day, a certain hour on the clock or whatever, and it's time, okay? Not only let's do this, but it's time. Now's the time. We can't wait any longer. Can't put it off. Can't delay. you got to go. It's time. You have to do it, and we got to do it right now. So let's do it, and it's time. It's right now. I believe those two phrases capture where we are as a church family. And because those phrases describe where we are as a church family, It describes for those of us as individual believers who are part of this family of faith, it's where we are as well. It's time, and let's do it. You've noticed in several handouts recently a prayer request that we're asking God to bless us with the ability to pay off our current debt of just over $6 million during the next six years. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit today and in the weeks to come as we look at let's do this it's time and see what God teaches us from 2nd Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 the sermon today is going to be a little bit different we'll get to the scripture in just a moment and I'll explain it and we'll draw some lessons from it sort of an overview of those two chapters and then in the weeks to come dive into the details of those chapters but I want, to, I, want, I want to share some stuff with you before I get to that scripture. And it's kind of, think of it as, a, as, as sort of a walk down memory lane for some of us. And for others of you, it'll be just sharing with you our story. It's kind of like getting together with a family and you hear the old people talk about things that happened before you were part of the, the family, so to speak. Our family of faith decided in 1996, think about that, what is that now? How many years ago? 19 years ago, almost. In 1996, our family of faith took a a bold step of faith and decided that God was leading us to relocate from downtown to this property at Dave Lyle Boulevard where we now gather to worship and serve the Lord. And we made that decision because downtown we we were running out of space. We were growing We were in three worship services. There wasn't enough room to keep growing. We were struggling with parking, particularly during the week. There wasn't room for people to park who came to all of our activities. It was beginning to hurt us, and we knew it would hinder and limit our future because we wanted to have room for people, room for new people, room to do the ministries God would have us do in the future. And and we wanted to secure for the church a future that, that was beyond those of us who may 
have been making the decision. We wanted, we wanted to position the church for whatever God wanted it to do for decades and decades to come under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Our church overwhelmingly voted to relocate. The first big decision was in March of 1996. God, that's when God blessed us with this property. And our church voted. And I want you to think about something. Our whole congregation got together and by secret ballot, a secret ballot voted by, I believe, Jim, it was 92%. 92% by secret ballot voted to buy this property and move from downtown to Dave Lyle Boulevard. A big step of faith. Then in uh, 2004, we entered this building, phase one of our facilities, which was this worship center and the L-shaped three-story Sunday school building, the education space. That wraps around this building, the development of the property and the parking and all of that. And, and it was phase one. And you can see it cost over $11 million. So it was a huge undertaking. In 2005, we bought a piece of property behind us on Garrison Road that was contiguous to our property. There was an old house on it. And it gave us about another acre. That house was sold and somebody moved it away. And so now that is part of our property here at Dave Lyle Boulevard. And then in 2007, we opened Phase 2, December of that year. Phase 2 is the, the youth center, the rock, the apex, the, the gymnasium, the, the church office building. And so that's been our history of, of relocating, buying property, constructing buildings, and so on. And that total investment was just under $18 million, $17,700,000 for the property, the facilities, the fees, engineering fees, architectural fees, and all that is a part of that, a massive, major undertaking. And I just want to stop for a moment and say something. When our church made that decision in 1996, what you have to understand if you weren't here then is that was a huge step of faith. Because it required of us more than we had ever seen God do before. was not an easy decision. It was a huge decision. In fact, it's a decision that was so big and requires so much faith that most churches would not have done it. And we called our first campaign Forward by Faith because it was a big step of faith. And I want to do something right now I did in the first service this morning. If you were here... In March 1996, when we voted to buy this land, would you stand up? You were here in March 1996. Would you stand up? All right, now look around. Look around, everybody. That's maybe 20% of the group that's in here right now. By the way, what you may not know is in the first service, about 50% of the crowd was standing. Which means even in the first service, which is our older service, half the people there were not here in 1996. 96. A lot of the people who sacrificed to make all of this possible are in that first service as well as these who are standing right now. I want to say to those of you who are standing, thank you for not only helping us take that step of faith in 1996 but sticking with it through all these years and being faithful. Would you join me in saying thank you to them? Now remain standing. Now, those of you who were... Are, most of them are sat down, so go ahead. <laughs> those of you who were seated... We had people like you in our mind and on our hearts when we were making that decision in 1996. We didn't know what God would do in the future, what opportunities he would give us. We didn't know who the people were that he would bring to our church family. We just knew we wanted space for them. We wanted to position ourselves to, to, to minister to people in the future. And all of you who remain seated, 
you were on our hearts. We didn't know your names. We didn't know your stories. But God placed in our heart a vision that more people could be part of what God wanted to do through the life of this church. And so you were part of that decision all the way back then. I remember when we made that decision. We, we had a special gathering of the church at 4 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, March 3rd. And the reason we did that was we had three preaching services on Sunday morning. We, and, and we wanted to get everybody in the room at one time. And so it was packed. Okay, I mean, it was just packed. Balcony, everything, just packed. And we did it at 4 o'clock so we could finish and the senior adults could get home before it got dark. It's March, okay? And so at 4 o'clock, we had that meeting. We've had several meetings leading up to it. Very little discussion. And we vote and we praise God. And by the way, I have another picture in my office from that day because I've just announced the vote that we voted to buy the land and the congregation's beginning to applaud in, in just a second. Everybody in that room was standing and giving God a standing ovation. And it was an incredible day. The following morning, that Monday morning, there was an elderly couple in my office that came to see me. Been in our church for decades. And I still remember the, 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 the wife in particular wanted to be there. And she handed me a check for $10,000. And I can still remember her. She had this big smile on her face and she spoke with this really sweet southern drawl. And as she handed me that check with a smile, she said, I wanted to be the first one to make a donation to buy the land. About two years later, I remember sitting on her bed in one of the hospitals in Charlotte talking to her while she was dying with cancer. And there are others like her, not here today because they're in heaven, who were part of that decision 19 years ago to take a huge step of faith so that this church would have a future and so that people like you could be part of that future. There are many, many others just like her. And I think it's appropriate at times for us to take a moment, remember and celebrate what God has done, remember and, and say thank you to the people God used to make it all possible because today's blessings, today's opportunities are the result of yesterday's obedience, yesterday's faith, yesterday's sacrifice. And in the same way, the faith, sacrifice, and obedience we demonstrate today will shape the future of this church and the people God wants this church to impact in the years to come. So I just want to say thank you and take a moment and celebrate and give God glory and say thank you to those who've been part of the journey. As I mentioned a moment ago, our investment is just under $18 million. From all of that, we currently owe about $6.2 million, a little under $6.2 million. So you can do the math, just under $12 million already, already paid for. God's blessed us in an incredible way. But here's the thing. I think it's time we finish this chapter in our church's life. We believe it's time for us to pay that debt off. And so the prayer request is for God to give us the ability in the next six years to pay that $6 million debt. And i got to say, humanly speaking, it doesn't make sense. 
But I'm going to show you in a minute why with God it does make sense. Now, I invited you to, to open to 2 Corinthians 8 because God, after I've been praying for some time, led me to these two chapters and the stories of these two churches to, to help us. And there's one verse that I want to be a guiding verse for us during this season in our church's life. And it's chapter 8, verse 11. Notice what he says. Chapter 8, verse 11. He says, but now finish doing it also. So that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there, so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. Now that verse is going to make a little more sense to you in a few moments. Okay? Because this, this is the story in these two chapters of two churches that Paul had started. And, and their story has a lot of lessons for us. But let me, let me walk you through how I came, how I believe God directed me to this, this chapter before I explain it to you. Two or three years ago, I was reading Truett Cathy's autobiography, Eat More Chicken. If you've not read it, it's a pretty good book. And in it, he talks about one of the principles that he has tried to follow in his life and in his business, you know, Chick-fil-A. And it's that to always keep yourself personally and keep your business in a place that you can respond to what he calls unexpected opportunities. That in life as a follower of Jesus Christ, God is going to give you, God is going to give your business, God is going to give your church opportunities to do some significant things. But you can't always anticipate them. At times it will seem like they come from nowhere. You don't necessarily plan for them. He gives them to you. They're unexpected. And when they come, you have to seize them. You have to be in a position that you can take advantage of those opportunities, that you can do something with them. And so he's tried to follow that. And, and as I was reading that, I got to praying and reflecting on our church's journey. In, in our first service this morning, Brother Jim Heron was here. He was the pastor here before me. And while he was pastor, this church downtown built, bought some property and built a family life center, a gymnasium. And that was a huge step because this church was an aging church in terms of its demographics. And it wasn't an easy decision. And those of you who were there in the early 80s when that decision was being made, remember that it, it was tough. It was not an easy decision. But the church worked through the process and made the decision. And for them, it was a huge step of faith. And they had done two capital campaigns to buy the land and do the construction. Then they were going to pay the remaining debt on the building through the budget, no more campaigns, just pay it through the budget for the next several years. And, and Brother David Hamilton, who was chairman of the stewardship committee, was in the first service. and That was budgeted through, like two, through the year like 2000. Okay? And so here it is in the late 80s, and I come on board as a 29-year-old pastor. God blesses and our church starts growing. And you know how they're trying to revitalize downtown? They were trying that in the 80s as well. Only we were a little more optimistic about it back then. And so changes were coming to downtown. We were grow growing and we knew we were going to have to do something to have more space. And we were going to have to be able to buy buildings and be in a position to respond to the opportunities God was giving us. Those, those things that were going to change downtown that we didn't know anything about that could affect parking and so on. But as long as we had the debt we had then, and debt that was there for a good reason, building that building was the right thing for the church to do at that time. It was good debt. 
But if we just continued paying for it through the budget and, and didn't get rid of it, it was going to limit our ability to take advantage of what God was beginning to do in our church life. And so we talked about it, and the church voted to have another capital campaign, and in the next two or three years, we paid off that debt. We were debt-free. And because of that, as God blessed and we were growing, we were able to buy several buildings on Caldwell Street downtown. We put our youth ministry in those old storefronts. We had adult Sunday school classes in those buildings. We had our clothing ministry in those buildings. We had our divorce recovery ministry in those buildings, support groups in those buildings. And without them, we we couldn't have continued growing. But we could not have done all of that if we had not paid the debt that we had when I came as pastor. And would have, as God would have it as, as time passed, and we, we were even outgrowing all of that, this land became available. And the church was able to buy it. Now here's the point. If we had said in the late 80s, we're just going to stay the course and pay for our debt through the budget, we're not going to do anything to be aggressive to get rid of it, I'm convinced that the opportunities that God was going to give us that we didn't know about at that moment, we would not have been able to respond to the way we did. And so it's by saying, okay, God, we want to position ourselves to go forward, to have a future that God blessed us with future opportunities. So I got to thinking all about that, praying about all of that, because I think we're in a similar situation again right now. In some ways, it's kind of like deja vu for me. It almost feels like we're in a position very similar to where we were in the late 80s. Because we have debt for a very good reason, the relocation, these facilities, this campus. And we can continue making minimum payments. The problem is, whatever opportunities God wants to give us down the road, if all we do is make minimum payments, we're going to be very hindered in our ability to respond to what God gives us in the future that we don't know anything about right now. In fact, it may even be there are ministries that God wants to give us down the road that He won't even give us the opportunity to respond to if we just sit back and take it easy and don't take a step of faith. Now, how does this story relate? Well, I was talking to deacons. I've been talking to our deacons for several months, my advisory and accountability teams and others. And I started praying, God direct me to a passage, and and he brought me to this one. Because it's a story about two local churches One in the city of Corinth on the map there, you see it right in the middle of the page next to Athens, Corinth. It was a city in in what we today call Greece. Back then it was Achaia. It was a church that Paul had started on his second missionary journey. He had stayed there as a missionary about 18 months. The second group of churches are up in Macedonia, particularly Thessalonica and Philippi, but more particularly Thessalonica. Also churches that Paul started on his first missionary journey. Now Paul is on his third journey and he's, he's, he's spent three years in the city of Ephesus over there in Asia, which is modern Turkey, planting that church. And now he's moving up and, he, and he's in Thessalonica. And from Thessalonica he writes a letter that he sends by a man named Titus and two other people to the Christians in Corinth, to the church in Corinth. The book of 2 Corinthians in your Bible is that letter. And what he's talking about to these two churches, the Macedonians or Thessalonica and the Corinthians, the, uh, those in Achaia about, is an offering that he's collecting from all of these Gentile churches for the Christians in Jerusalem. 
The very first Christian church was in Jerusalem. Most of the members were of Jewish background. They had become believers in Jesus, and they were very poor, and they were persecuted. And Paul was collecting an offering from all these new churches to help these poor Christians, persecuted Christians in Jerusalem. One, he was going to meet their physical need. The second thing is he knew it would strengthen the bonds between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians because in that day and age, Jews and Gentiles, sometimes there was a lot of tension. And in Jesus Christ, they were one family. And so he was thinking, yes, I'm going to meet their, we're going to meet their physical needs, but this is also a way for these Jewish believers to know that the Gentile believers loved them. And it was going to strengthen the church all around. The Corinthians were one of the first churches to commit to helping Paul with this offering. And now he's up in Thessalonica on this second, third trip. He's making his way around all these churches, collecting the offering, and he's going to take it to Jerusalem. And he sends this letter to the Corinthians from Thessalonica, and he begins bragging on the Thessalonian Christians, the Macedonian Christians, about how generous they are to this offering. And he says, by the way, it was your example to be one of the first ones to step out in faith and make a commitment to this offering that inspired them. So I want us to look for a few moments at what Paul said about the Thessalonian Christians, the Macedonian Christians in chapter 8, verse 1. Okay, look at verse 1. He said, Brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, God's love, which has been given to the churches of Macedonia, Thessalonica, Philippi, that in, great, that in a great ordeal of affliction, what does that mean? It means they were suffering. These Christians were going through hard times. They were being persecuted. He said that in the midst of their great affliction, their great great suffering, their abundance of joy, they had a lot of joy deep inside of them even though they were suffering. You see, Christian joy does not depend on circumstances. It depends on our intimacy with Jesus Christ. So Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he says these Macedonian believers... They have, a hard, they have it hard, but they've got this great joy and in their deep poverty. So they're being persecuted, they're suffering, they have joy in Jesus, and they're poor. They don't have much. And he said, all of this has overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. In other words, through all of that, rather than becoming bitter, rather than becoming selfish, through their persecution, through their poverty, but through their joy in Jesus, they have been very, very generous. He said it's overflowed in the wealth of their liberality, their generosity of giving. Verse 3, For I testify, he says, that according to their ability, they gave what they could. But notice, and beyond their ability, they did more than just what was easy. They sacrificed. They gave of their own accord. Nobody made them. It's what they wanted to do. Verse 4, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation and the support of the saints. They pleaded with Paul. Even though they were being persecuted and they were poor, their joy was such that they pleaded with Paul for the privilege of giving to this offering for the poor, suffering Christians in Jerusalem. And they did it with great generosity. Their heart was such that they pleaded with Paul for the chance. 
Then verse 5, And this, none as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. All of this grew out of the fact that they were so submitted to Jesus, had so much joy in Jesus, and they wanted to help us and support us in what we were doing, that they pleaded with us for the opportunity, and then they gave generously. And so Paul's writing this letter, and, and he talks about these Macedonian believers and he, in verse 6, and then over in verses 17 and following, he gives a copy of that letter to Titus, and Titus and two other men carry it to Corinth. And they stand up in the church in Corinth and they read it to the Corinthians. They read it to the church family. And so they're sitting there in worship one Sunday and they're hearing about these generous believers north of them in Macedonia. And then Paul says, let me tell you a little bit more about it in chapter 9, verse 1. He says, it is superfluous for me. It's not necessary for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints, this offering to the saints. For I know of your readiness, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia, Corinth, Athens, has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. Notice that. He's saying to the Corinthian believers, your desire, your eagerness to be part of this giving. When I told the Macedonians about you, they were inspired. Do you understand that what I do motivates other people what you do motivates other people for good for bad to be people of faith or not faith to have vision or to lack vision we influence motivate inspire one another what you do what i do is never just about me never just about you it's also about those that we're going to influence and inspire up or down with faith or absence of faith, vision or no vision, heart or lack of heart, passion or no passion. He said, they did a great job. But guys, God used your example to inspire them. And he says in verse 3, so I've sent the brethren, Titus and those other two men, in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, so that, as I was saying, you may be prepared. In 1 Corinthians 16, the first letter he had sent to them earlier, he said, here's how you get ready for this offering. On the first day of the week, on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, every time you come together, you collect part of the offering, set it aside, and then when I arrive to collect the offering, it'll be ready, and you won't have to rush at the last minute because if you wait, you won't do a good job. Delay usually means not as good. So get after it, he says. And he says, I want to make sure you're ready. So verse 4, otherwise if the Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. Paul says, in other words, when I come to collect the offering and some of these people from the churches up in Macedonia come with me and I've been bragging on you to them and your example inspired them. Now if I show up with them and you haven't followed through with what you started, you haven't finished it, we're all going to be embarrassed. And I don't want that to happen. So that's why I've sent Titus and these two men with this letter ahead of me to make sure you're ready so when I, when I come, you're prepared and there's no reason for any of us to be embarrassed. And so in verse 5 he says, I thought it was necessary that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not be affected by your covetousness. Now, 
God did, God did not direct me to this passage because I was concerned that we had stopped and weren't trying and wouldn't be ready. God, I believe, directed me to this passage because just like Paul was saying to these Corinthians, hey, you were so excited and you started. It's time now to, to finish it. It's time now to complete it. And brothers and sisters, we believe it's time for us to, to, to end this chapter in our church's journey, in our church's history. Because God has new chapters He wants to write in the future. And this debt is part of this chapter of the last two decades, this whole relocation process. And it's time for us to, to finish, to complete that chapter. I don't know what the chapters in the future will be. I have no idea what opportunities God's going to give us down the road. I just know that God lives in the past, the present, and the future simultaneously. And God has chapters yet to write in the life of this church. But if we decide just to, to let it go and not complete this chapter, we won't be ready to respond when God says, I've got new things for you to do that you don't know anything about today. See, there's some basic lessons. Desire is not enough. It takes action. The desire to start something is not enough. It takes action to complete it. To finish what we start, there has to be follow-through. And, and, and sometimes it's challenging. You know, when I'm sitting at home at night watching Kentucky play basketball on TV, Sometimes I get excited and I want a bag of potato chips and a candy bar. But because, you know, one of my goals that I believe God's given me for this year is to lose another 20 pounds. And I mentioned to you last week it was off to a good start. You know, I lost seven pounds because I was sick. Well, I'm healthy and I'm eating again. And I feel really good because I only gained one pound now that I started eating back. Okay, so I'm, I'm still down six pounds over two weeks. So I thought, hey, that's pretty good. I'm, on, I'm still on track, okay, um, after not eating for a week. So pretty good. We're, we're doing well. But I'm sitting there watching those games. Boy, I want a bag of potato chips. I want a candy bar. I want a... Monisa makes really good brownies. You know, you, you just want stuff. And just because I've started well, it's going to take action to finish well. And there are going to be temptations. There are going to be challenges. There are going to be frustrations. The principles that, that Paul identifies in these two chapters for these churches apply to our church, but they apply to us individually. You know, for the last several weeks, we, we've been asking you to identify what God wants to do in your life this next year. What does God want to change, to improve, to fix in your life? And some of you have started this journey to better health with me. Some of you have started having quiet times. Some of you have you know, started mending relationships with, with people in your family. And that's great. I'm glad you're doing that. But starting is not enough. There has to be follow-through. There has to be action that, that continues. And, and I believe God's brought us to this chapter, this, these stories, because just like He was saying to the Corinthians, you got off to a great start and you had good intentions and you've been doing this. It's time now. I'm coming. I'll be there shortly to collect the offering. It's time to make sure you're ready for my appearance. It's time for us to close a chapter so God can write new chapters. And that's what asking God to give us the ability to pay this debt of six million in six years 
is all about. Because I don't want anything in our present day to hinder what God wants to write in our future. And at the end of verse 5 in chapter 9, he said to the Corinthians, he said, the one thing that could get in the way of you completing this offering, this collection, is covetousness. You start thinking about all the other things you could do with the money. So that got me to ask the question, what could hinder us as a church from finishing this chapter? And covetousness could. Many of us in this room have been giving sacrificially to the building fund of this church for a long, long time. Most of us who do that, sometimes you have these thoughts. Now, if I wasn't giving that money to church, what could I do? And you start thinking about these things you could do. And there are some of you who are not giving. You have those kind of, you know, I, I want to do this and I want to do that. And so covetous, that, that can get in the way. But something that, that, that can be a challenge for some of us in, in our church is, is what I call campaign fatigue. Now, those of you who were here in 1996, how many of you were also here, let's say, in 1980? Wave at me. 1980, wave at me. All right? This is for those who are waving at me. You've been here a long, long time campaign fatigue because we've been giving sacrificially for decades. Monisa and I have been giving to the building fund of this church for 27 years. When we have one child, when we had two children, when we had preschoolers, elementary kids, high school kids, college kids, and now empty nesters and grandkids. There are some who've been giving longer than that. But you know what? We've all been investing in something significant that will outlive us. We've been investing in the kingdom of God. And I I'm happy to know that my investment and the investment of others will mean that even when I'm not here, this church will be. That's a good thing. Something that could affect us, make it hard for us as a church, is, is indifference. For those of you who are newer to the church, and, and, and I, I don't know what you're thinking, but I, I, could, I could imagine that someone might be thinking, well, why get aggressive and pay this debt off early? Let me, let me talk about that a minute. One is because we have, God, God has blessed us with a great interest rate. If you read the document, you know this. We have an interest rate of 3.49% through January 2020. And there's a difference between a, a, you know, a home mortgage and a commercial rate, partic- loan, particularly of this size. And, and brothers and sisters, a commercial rate of 3.49% on a loan of our size, a commercial rate, that is Phenomenal. That is a gift of God. That is a work of God. And because of that, more of our payments go against principal. In fact, right now, right now, we have about 180000 in our budget toward the debt. So what everybody gives to the building fund, right now, at a minimum, 92% of that goes toward principal right now. And in a few years, as we work to get there, 100% of what you give to the building fund will go toward principal. Even now, it's in the 90-some percent. That's an amazing opportunity. Now, that loan, what, and, and that loan, that rate ends in January 2020. So at that point in time, whatever we still owe will have to be refinanced at whatever the interest rates are at that time. And somebody might ask, well, why didn't you structure the loan for longer because in those commercial rates of that size, you can't. That's the terms that we could get. It's not like a home mortgage. It's a whole different animal, so to speak. 
And for those of you who are somewhat new and thinking, well, well, okay, that makes sense because you, you save a lot of money when you pay it. We're going to save a lot of money. But why is that my issue? I wasn't here when you made the decision to buy the land. I wasn't here when you made the, ish, the decision to build any of these buildings. Let me say something to you. Those of you who were seated because you weren't here in 1996, when this church made the decision to relocate, it was because we wanted to be in a position to have room and a church and a ministry for people like you. You were We didn't know your names but you were in our heart and mind and in our vision at that time. And the same thing is true for people that God will bring to be part of this family of faith in the future. It also matters to you because those opportunities down the road, what we can or cannot do with those opportunities are going to be deter- will be determined by what we do with our current situation. And I know you're going to be excited about some of the things God's going to ask us to do in the future. We want to be able to do those. To do that, we have to respond to what is today. We need your help with that. Also, you're called to invest in the kingdom of God. And you've been seen in your publications an event called 2008 and Beyond. I'm asking those of you who've either become a member or started attending this church since January 2008 because December 2007 is when we moved into phase two. I'm asking those of you who are part of this church since 2008 to spend 90 minutes with me in this room next Sunday evening at 5 o'clock because I want to share stuff with you and I want to have an opportunity to answer your questions just an informal gathering. We'll have some food and child care. But I want to spend 90 minutes with you answering your questions and sharing information with you and I hope you'll be here. I'm asking you to be here. One last thing that could affect our ability to do this it's what I call a lack of vision or a lack of understanding. See, when we were buying this land and building buildings, it was easy to say, there's the land. Here's a picture of what the building would look like. And it's easy to get excited about that kind of stuff. But today, we're talking about debt. There's nothing glamorous about that. Paying debt. It's not a very glamorous thing to get excited about. But it's an important thing. Because of this interest rate and more of our payment going toward principal, what you have to understand is this. And and by the way, to really get this, you have to see through the eyes of faith. You have to see through spiritual eyes. Is that by doing this, we will save a lot of money in interest. And the money we save in interest is real dollars that can be put to use in ministry that changes lives. And it makes sense to do that. You need to see those opportunities. God's going to give us those unexpected and unknown opportunities because God is the God of the future, not just the past. You need to know that God has something He wants to do, and if we don't know what it is, that's okay. He does, but we have to be ready to respond. And you need to see that. And you need to see that if we just settle and do the minimum. We'll miss those opportunities. We'll blow it. Now, one last verse, and then I'm going to wrap all this up for today. Chapter 8, verse 7. Paul said to them, just as you abound in everything, these Corinthians, he said, you abound in faith, in utterance. You have great faith. You're a good communicator of the gospel. You have great knowledge of the Bible. You abound in love. See to it that you also abound in this gracious work and this generous offering for the saints 
in Jerusalem. I, I want to tell you a little bit about this six and six campaign and how we how we got to that. I mentioned briefly that I've been talking to our deacons for months, other ministry leaders. I have 18 men that are part of what I call my advisory and accountability teams. They're divided into three teams, and I meet with each of those teams every three months. And we just talk and pray and bounce ideas off of them and get feedback. And um, I was sharing with them over some of our meetings that, you know, over the years we've done multiple capital campaigns in this church to pay for buildings and stuff. And and our history is 1.5 to 3-plus million from the low to the high. And our average three-year capital campaign is two is 1.8 to 2.2 million. In other words, over three years, our congregation on average gives somewhere between 1.8 and 2.2 million toward capital campaigns. That's our history. I have no idea what's going to happen in this upcoming capital campaign. I don't know if it'll be a million and a half, two and a half. I don't. I don't. I don't know. But as I was talking with them. I said, all right, history says on average about 2 million. So let's say over the next six years, two campaigns, 2 plus 2 equals 4. So based on our church history, 2 million for three years, 2 million for another three years, over six years, that's $4 million. That leaves us 2 million shy of being able to pay off the $6 million debt in two years. And humanly speaking, there's nothing that says we should be able to do that. Given the dynamics in our country, in our economy, in our church, not realistic. This, yeah, possible. No guarantee, possible. This, man, that's a big stretch. And so we were, I, I remember when it happened. And some of the guys are in the room today when it happened. We were sitting at breakfast at Bob Evans with one of my accountability teams. And we were going over all of this. And I was talking about, because I've been working through the Draw the Circle devotional, and I was talking about, all right, what if we put that $2 million that we just don't see any way to, to, to get, we don't see any way for that to happen, what if we put that in a circle and, ask, and just pray and ask God to, to, to give us that in his own way, in his own time? And I still remember, and I won't call his name out, but one of the guys said no. He said, put the whole $6 million in the circle. Because all of it depends on God. And all of our leadership team said, that's it. That's it. That's it. Because if that happens, the only person who can get any glory is God. And how can he do it? He can. How will he do it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what my role will be in it. I don't know what your role will be in it other than that I know I'll be giving and prayerfully you will be giving. But God can. And so just like I've been saying for the last several weeks, guys, identify those things God wants to do in your life. Write them down. Make them a bullseye. Draw a circle around them and pray, 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 pray until God does it in your life. This is what we believe God's leading us as a church family to do. And we're putting it as a bullseye. We're drawing a circle around it. It doesn't make sense. We don't know how to do it. But God can. And we believe God will if we seek Him in humility with all our heart, if we are people of faith. And here's a question. If the only thing we do is what we think 
we can do. Now listen, if all we do is what we think we can do, why, why do we even need God? If, if all we do is what we think we can do, where's the faith? So just like, and if, if you, I, I can't overstate this, brothers and sisters, it was a huge step of faith for us back in the 90s. Huge step of faith. And I've been around long enough to realize that all of us can go through seasons where we have great faith, and then we go through seasons where we, we just start managing, we just start getting by, we just start coasting. And we believe it's time for this church to step out and say, God, it's only by faith. Because we can't explain it and we can't do it. And without you, it's just not, just not feasible. It's time for us to be a people of faith again. It's time for us to take a step of faith and let God bring glory to God. And show us what he's capable of. And that means stepping out and trying more than what we know we can do by ourselves. Because this, this is a God thing. We can't do this. But God, through us, can. But I want us to begin by praying. The only thing I'm asking you to do right now is pray. I want you to do something. When you leave the building today in the back on those tables by the, by the doors in the back are these flat sheets of paper. Look like this. I want you to get one take it home. You can get two if you want to. Take it home. Fold it and it sets up like a tent. I call it a prayer tent. I want you to put it on your table where you eat or your kitchen. Wherever you're, you sit down to eat, your family sits down to eat, I want you to put this there. Put it on your desk at work and every time you see this, I want you to pray about that six, I want you to pray that over the next six years, God will give us the ability to pay our debt of $6 million over the next six years. And every time you see this, I want you to pray. And I want you to pray about your role in all of it. That's all I'm asking you to do right now is pray. And by the way, how many of you have already picked up a copy of this vision document, this statement, this, this handout and read it? All right, the rest of you, we've got hundreds of copies back there. Will you please, I'm pleading with you, Will you pick up a copy of it today? When you get your prayer tent, will you pick up a copy of this today and read it? Please, pick up a copy and read it. A lot of good information in here. And then the last thing, some of you have questions. I want to know what your questions are so they can be answered. There's a card that looks like this in the pouch in the chair in front. If you have questions or comments, write them. Put it in the offering plate. Leave it out at the lobby at the, at the information desk. You can go to our church website. You'll see the 6 and 6 logo. Click it on. There's a place for you to submit a question or a comment. My email address, my personal email address, is in the sermon outline on the back page. You can send me an email with your question. I want to know what your questions are so we can ask them. But here's how I want us to start. We're going to stand. So would you stand? And we're going to sing a song. And um, for some of you who are 
guest or new, this has been a little bit different because I'm talking to our church today. Now, there's lessons here for you, for all of us. But this is really just the pastor, you know, kind of having a talk with the church family today. I want to ask you to do something. Because this is a God thing. We will fail without God. Okay? We will fail without God. Praying is not just something that a preacher says we're supposed to do. It's the key to this whole thing. Stay in your journal. You've been doing the Draw the Circle journal. Stay in it. If you've stopped, get back in it. If you've finished it, do it again. Spend time with God and pray for your church. Pray for this is this is your church. Pray for this church. And as an act of submission and obedience, as an act of worship, we sing this song. Let's flood this altar and get on our face before God and say, God, we are surrendering this church to you. We are surrendering this debt to you. We are surrendering this vision to you. And God, we're asking you to do something in this church family, do something in our lives that we we don't know how to do. God, will you answer that prayer? God, will you will you enable us to pay this debt in the next six years? So when we sing this song, let's let's flood this altar and seek God on behalf of your church. Get on our face before the Lord and seek Him on behalf of the church. If you need to join the church or make a different decision, pastors are here at the front, Jamie and Steve. Come and let one of them know they'll be glad to talk with you about any kind of decision you're making today. Let's sing together. You come. Let's seek God for this church right now. Come on. Let's sing together.